0: Welcome to the latest FT Advisor podcast with me, Simone Kuriaku, editor of FT Advisor. Launched in 2017, Insurance United Against Dementia is a campaign bringing the insurance industry, providers, advisors, and underwriters alike, together to raise awareness and funding for research into Alzheimer's. FT Advisor is pleased to be supporting the campaign to encourage our readers to get involved ahead of the Insurance Day Against Dementia, which this year is on the 30th of November. Zurich has also pledged to match donations, and you can find out more on ftadvisor.com. But dementia and cognitive decline are all too familiar to advisors. Those who have used Technical Connections' new virtual reality training tool will see how emotive and distressing it can be for clients and their families. By the end of this podcast, which will be eligible for CPD, you should be able to summarise what medical advances are doing to help, explain how dementia can affect clients and families, and be able to list ways that the insurance world can help those affected. Here to talk to us today about Insurance United Against Dementia, how medical research is working to improve prospects for those living with cognitive decline, and how the industry can help, are Yvonne Brown, Director, Long-Term Savings, Health and Protection at the Association of British Insurers, Rose St. Louis, Protection Director at Lloyd's Banking Group and Board Member of Insurance United Against Dementia, and Dr. Richard Oakley, Associate Director of Research at Alzheimer's Society. Welcome all. But before we get to our discussion, insurance reporter Tom Dunstan is here with a short report on how advisors are grappling with issues of dementia and cognitive decline among their clients. Over to you, Tom.
1: The Alzheimer's Society believes that 209,600 people will develop dementia this year. That's one person diagnosed every three minutes. There are estimated to be more than 944,000 people currently living with dementia in the UK, one in 11 of them being over the age of 65. This is estimated to increase in the future with over 1 million people in the UK projected to be diagnosed with dementia in 2025 and nearly 1.6 million in 2040. With this projected increase in diagnoses, some financial advisors have advised that disputes among family members will only become more common. To combat this, 149 Group recommended considering a will or lasting power of attorneys in advance rather than ignoring until the last minute. Seeking advice and putting in place the necessary protections – Early when mental capacity is not in doubt, that makes wishes clear in the event of a diagnosis will help minimize the impact of the devastating news, the firm advised. Additionally, 20% of people over the age of 80 are thought to be affected by dementia. At the moment, people with dementia have to fund the complete cost of their care unless they have assets that have a value of less than £23,250. However, for those with assets over that amount, the cost of dementia works out to an annual average cost of £32,250 per person, equalling a total cost to the UK of £34.7 billion a year. This yearly cost to the UK is set to rise sharply over the next two decades to £94.1 billion in 2040, with a largest proportion of this cost coming from social care, around 45%. However, Vitality Life has revealed that almost the majority of Brits are ignorant of this fact, unaware of the cost of caring for someone with dementia. In a survey, 46% of respondents said they were not aware of the average cost of care, despite 60% saying they, were, they would be worried about the cost if they were diagnosed. Vitality Life also reported that, while one of the key ways for, of caring for a person with dementia is making improvements to their home, a fifth of those surveyed did not know ways they could be improved. Meanwhile, An RBC survey revealed that 80% of caregivers have reported some level of financial mismanagement in families affected by cognitive decline. The way in which advisors approach this sensitive topic has been a topic for debate among the industry. For example, to help advisors work with clients who may be suffering dementia, Old Mill IFA Andrew Page encouraged using an individual and bespoke approach, stating, ''When you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia. Everyone is different.'' Mm -hmm. As part of this, Page encouraged using appropriate language, such as keeping all matters as clear and straightforward as possible. Mm. Additionally, professional finance centre managing director Christian Dalton advised gaining all possible knowledge of clients and their situation, stating, "Notwithstanding the purely financial consequences, in order to know your clients fully and to help clients get the best outcomes, you need to understand all all the factors that are affecting their lives."
0: Mm. Thank you very much, Tom. Um, can I get a brief reaction from the room? You know, what, what stuck out to most to you in that report? Uh, Yvonne, can I start with you and then go to Richard and then to Rose?
2: I think what sticks most out to me is just the, just the sheer numbers of, of people involved. The FT did a piece on on the numbers and had some sort of helpful news in terms, or hopeful news rather, in terms of actually numbers not increasing perhaps as much as was expected. But nevertheless, I mean, it's a huge, huge problem for society. And I think one where our sector is is very much on the front line, because I mean, ultimately our sector is all about long-term security for people. We've done quite a lot of work um, with government on the whole social care piece, that 's a bit stuck now is sort of in limbo, I think mm, for, many uh, years now. for many for many many years, yes, um, and I think a lot more work needs to go on into that, and we will sort of see what next year brings, I suppose, in terms of the um, potential election, um, mm. etc but yeah i think I think it just shows what a what a fundamentally important issue this is and one of the things that um, the sector did, which I think is incredibly important and, and we're very very proud of is um, as part of the COVID-19 support fund, which we um, raised uh, back in the pandemic over £100 million in total, we actually gave £7 million to support people with dementia and more than £2.4 million of that went to the Alzheimer's Society to actually help with befriending services and and companion calls and all that sort of stuff. And it just shows you that, you know, there's a huge uh, piece of work here for society as a Mm. whole, And I think the pandemic really, really highlighted that. And um, it was a a huge privilege for me because I let let that work. I'm still leading it. It's still going on uh, on the fund. So, yeah, just a quick, some quick thoughts. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, Richard, over to you.
3: Yeah, I think the thing that always strikes me with uh, dementia is actually how little is known about it sometimes in society. I mean, you mentioned some great facts there on the numbers growing, the cost of society Also, I mean, a quarter of all hospital beds are taken up with someone with dementia. They went in because their care and support wasn't there and they can't leave hospital because their care and support Mm. wasn't there. It's the biggest killer in the UK and has been for a number of years. Um... It's one of the it's one of the top ten killers in the world, and one of the only ones that we currently can't, in the UK at least yet, treat and slow down at all. So this really has been a massive, and in my opinion, still is the biggest health challenge facing the planet, um, and it hasn't received that uh, kind of attention that I think that deserves. There are a number of reasons for that, um, but podcasts like this and conversations like this are how we change those. It's how we raise the profile of dementia it's how we tell people that it is the biggest killer but we're on the cusp of some really exciting changes we are at those one of those kind of we'll look back at this and this will be one of those breakthrough moments mm. that we can identify and i'm sure we'll talk about that but i think conversations like this are needed today but all around tables with families um dementia does affect so many people and we need to be talking about it because it is beatable and we're at one of those moments now
0: yeah fantastic. It is beautiful. That's a really encouraging thing to start start this with uh,
4: Rose over to you. Um, I think what I what what struck me was and what I liked um, about the report was the the advisor comment mm. around you know when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia yeah. and having personal experience of dementia within my family, um, when that when you meet that one person with dementia, you can meet them a year's time and it's very different that encounter with that person. um, I really love and applaud the way that report leans into kind of like, let's take this conversation to advisors and empower them to have better conversations with clients, um, to have better conversations about helping them like plan and stage for their financial futures when this is a, a reality of what will happen to many of those clients. And therefore, how can we as a sector get on the front foot in making sure the creation of, of wealth and protection for those clients is not s- stripped away so quickly by the impacts and the effects of, of dementia. Um, so I really, really appreciate that um, call to ad- call to action and that embracing of this um, terrible disease by advisors because, as, as Yvonne said, on the front line to be able to help and, and that's huge and a responsibility.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let, let, let's go back to that sort of call, call for action. I'm going to stick with you if I can, Rose. Why are we having Insurance Day against dementia then?
4: Insurance Day of Dementia is the flagship campaign of Insurance United Against Dementia movement. Um, it ensures that we are uniting our colleagues and clients across the sector uh, to help the Alzheimer's Society deliver on their vow to help end the devastation caused by dementia. And fundraising is a really, really important part and a crucial um, to ensuring those research services. Um, to date, um, Insurance United Against Dementia has raised a staggering £8 million. Wow. Um, so working really, really... It's very exciting. We've got a target of £10 million, um to reach... Um, but um, we're, we're getting ever closer with the support of, of a whole bunch of people across the industry. And, and you know, that valuable money transforms the lives of people affected by dementia, as well as raising awareness and supporting colleagues across the industry. You know, we've heard that it's the biggest killer. One in three people born today will be affected by dementia in their lifetime. So Insurance Day of Dementia will help Alzheimer's society and its vital work in providing crucial support and funding pioneering research into Treatments, diagnosis, innovation, and care.
0: Wow, fantastic! That's that's so exciting. And I liked what you said about sort of bringing the insurance industry together, um, because that's that's really important, isn't it, Yvonne? If I can go to you, can you just talk a little bit more about that link between insurance and cognitive health issues, and that whole sort of care package?
2: So I think it manifests in a in a in a number of different ways. Cognitive decline, I mean, it's a, it's a problem in just about any walk of life, I'd say, in financial services more generally. But I think in insurance uh, and also long-term savings, it is a particular issue because people need to engage with what it is that they need to buy. And we know, don't we, that that is even a problem for people who are not necessarily in mental decline or mm. cognitive decline. So you might buying be buying the wrong cover. Mm-hmm. You might be buying cover that actually you don't need... At all. You might not understand the questions that are being asked and therefore um, inadvertently not give information that's actually really, really important for the policy and therefore could void the policy if you don't give it. So that's all hugely problematic. And then if I look over to the pensions kind of retirement space and post the liberalization of that system in 2014, 2015, mm. freedom of choice, We now have people with a a bewildering array of um, choices at retirement. That may be fine at 65, but sure as hell, is not fine if you're 85. And I mean, just look at me, but I'm lucky enough to make it to 85. I don't want to be in drawdown and worry about what's happening to the stock market every day. I mean, this is a terrible idea, right? So I think there's a lot more thinking that needs to happen in that space. And of course, there is a whole raft of policy going on as well from the regulator, from the treasury on advice and guidance and how to make that better and how to involve the insurers who also might need to do a bit more or want to do a bit more because not everything can be done by the advice community. So I think that there's a whole, you know, work program for us to make sure that people get good guidance good advice both at the retirement point but then also during and through retirement as they make these sort of more difficult decisions.
0: Absolutely and your sort of your point about finance is so important because not only does someone who's in their sort of late 80s or early 90s want to be looking at the stock market every day I mean that they might but most of us don't even want to do that now in our (laughs) yep I'm going to call myself in my 30s because no one can actually see me on this podcast um but but it's hard enough for, for people without a, a financial education to look at it, let alone someone without financial education who may be sort of exactly a, a bit vulnerable, um, and who may be in, entering cognitive decline. And then those finances that that money that they've saved has to also then be used, perhaps to fund care, and that's that's a that's a worry, isn't it? I mean, Richard, can I sort of. Um, Let's actually no, let's let's move on. Let's start talking um, about sort of the, the costs. So Richard, can you sort of talk a little bit about the, the cost that um, obviously Alzheimer's support so many families? Um, let's talk about how those costs impact people.
3: Yeah I mean in so many ways I mean we know that one of the things that happens when you get a diagnosis is often things like you're not able to drive or you have to tell your employer and then a lot of employees don't have the knowledge or the support to know how to support that individual and they think there's nothing that can be done so instantly there's an impact there and often people don't know some of the things that are available to them they don't know where to go to get the advice to get respite care for the carers Mm. the impact on the carers and it's one thing we always talk about with dementia it's not just the individual who has dementia it's the whole system around them often it is not uh, official carers it's informal caring it's family members it's friends have to pick up some of the work to help that individual live at home and that has an impact on the whole family finances but there are things out there you do get some support from government you can get respite care you can get money off certain taxes and, and things like that so if If you know where to find it, that's where you go. And that's why the Alzheimer's Society has a a telephone helpline that can help people. Um, We have dementia advisors that are in people's homes talking through the very complicated system. Mm -hmm. And dementia is is one of those uh, diseases that spans the health and the social care system in a way that I don't think anything else does. And, Mm -hmm. And that is... That is a very difficult thing for people who work in the sector to understand how it spans those two. So I think the costs are, are, are varied across the entire family and there are things out there, but we also we need to do more. And there's been a lot of talk recently about investment into the social care services and they haven't quite come through to fruition yet, but we definitely want to do that and we keep mm-hmm. on calling
4: for that.
0: Excellent. And Rose, can I come to you? Because you've got very sort of real and lived experience of, of this.
4: Yes, my mum was diagnosed with dementia um, just over two years ago but obviously as a family member I I could see it coming on and, and I think working in this industry, readiness was really important to me. So um, what I've learned is that when someone is diagnosed, uh, they get very defensive and paranoid immediately. So, of course, me with my financial services hat on saying, OK, let's get your wills updated and powers of attorney. There was an immediate rejection of that by my mum. Um, and after speaking to people, they said that that's that's perfectly normal. So I had to get my dad on board. But um, her decline's been quite quick. Uh, So she was diagnosed in her early 70s. Um, She is 75 next month. And um, so, you know, we saw her lapsing in memory, um getting frustrated losing her words um until she has no words now she doesn't have any words at all um and early this year we had to make the heartbreaking decision to move her into care so because it was taking a drain um on my dad like you were saying around the the impact of carers but they did get support they got financial support which was great and we actually had care in the home so she could stay in in uh, in her own home for as long as possible um and we, we, we moved mum into respite care, first of all, and we talk about the cost, so let me bring that to life mm-hmm. for you. Um, it was £1,600 a week. Now you can pay more or you can pay less, but... Um, But my sister and I put her in that particular respite care home because we kind of, we had to do it for our dad as well because he wanted to, we had to make sure he could see, he could go and visit her somewhere nice as well. As I said, we could have paid a lot more or a lot less. Um, And that gave us time to find a great, care home for her, a nursing home. So it's a dementia nursing home um, that had amazing care and also hoists and lifts that she would need later, which actually she's just moved been moved into an area of the home. So 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 she can use those services. So she walked into the home. Um, she now can't walk. Uh, she can't speak. She doesn't know who any of us are. Um, I go see her every weekend or every other weekend. I feed her um, I do her hair and her makeup as well. Um, you you know, just so we have time to connect, which she loves. You know, you can see in her face and how she responds to that kind of human touch, um, which is great, but, you know... It's um, what I'm really glad that we did do is we did manage to get their wills updated and we did get powers of attorney in place. Mm. So while I take care of most of the financial affairs for my mum and my sister lives quite close where my mum and my mum and dad are based. So she's she's kind of like the sister on the ground doing all the activity while I'm two hours away and and kind of like managing the financial stuff. Um I've actually activated the power of attorney for my dad as well, because even though he doesn't have dementia, he's heartbroken. Yeah. And his ability to function Mm. is not great. So I manage their financial affairs for both of them, which my dad really appreciates because he just doesn't want to have to think about it. He just wants to go and visit her and, you know... Uh, live and exist as best he can, and that's a bit of a saving grace while they are losing capacity that I can make sure that they're as financially safe as they can be um so it's it's as you can see it's it's the impact of that disease is pretty wide ranging yes, of course. and and obviously it's heartbreaking for us as well because you know I've kind of lost my mum um before I've lost my mum yeah um yeah. It's, it's a double grief yeah yeah
3: yeah. And just to add into one of those points you said there, I mean, it's it's a terminal condition. It's the biggest kid in the UK. On average, it's about six, seven years from the point of diagnosis to, to unfortunately someone does die of, of dementia. But one of the things we do know and research has shown is that even when someone's unresponsive, not able to talk, isn't verbal anymore, you can still see biological responses to the touch and the talk of loved ones. And I think mm. some people sometimes worry, does, does my parent, does my loved one still know I'm there? Absolutely, can't say it's always the case, but there have been studies. People respond, even if they're not able verbally. We mm. can see they reduce certain endorphins in their bodies. They relax a little bit more. We absolutely can show that. So that type of care and support is so needed. Mm. So not everyone is able to get that, uh, but those that are able to give that, it does absolutely make a difference. It's one of the things yeah. that I get asked a lot: Does it actually? It often, absolutely, it does.
4: And that that's that's so reassuring to hear because you know I do speak to her all the time. My husband and I go and we talk to her. She, you know, she doesn't really look like she's engaging but we still continue to talk to her you know i hold her hand she grabs it back which is lovely even though she's not looking at me um but you know and as i'm feeding her if there's something she doesn't want to eat you know she'll screw her nose up or just push (laughs) herself away so she absolutely knows what she wants to eat and what she what what she doesn't but that's really 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 reassuring thanks richard
0: and it's wonderful that you have this uh, financial knowledge and financial education that you can sort of take that role but um, we we'll just go back to to Yvonne. There are so many people out there who have no financial knowledge, and this is where advisors, I guess, are really, really at the forefront, and providers as well, just being there at the front line of that that need of care. Can you talk a little bit, you know, about that sort of that need and those issues, and and how to be present as an advisor or, or a provider, or you know, someone at the end of the the telephone and
2: a call center? And I think that's very much about upskilling everybody to be more aware of of the condition and what it actually means Mm. which is as you were saying at the beginning which it which is why it's good to have this sort of conversation really important to have this sort of conversation um we worked with um bieber Mm -hmm. um on support like a Guide for supporting vulnerable customers generally, which of course also applies to people with dementia. We did another uh, piece of work after the uh, Freedom and Choice reforms, particularly for long-term for long-term savings. Mm -hmm. And then we did another guide on data principles because all of these things come into play, don't they? You know, if if um, somebody calls a call center and the call center person thinks, well, they sound a bit confused. bit disjointed now how do you then how do you deal with that mm-hmm. how do you record that and what are the sort of mechanisms you can use and um a lot of our members have vulnerable customer teams anyway mm-hmm. so you wouldn't be staying with the potentially quite inexperienced uh staff member in the call center you would be referred directly to somebody who actually does a lot more um so yeah you can find all of that material on our website uh, in the in the guide that we did on long-term savings it has also an awful lot of um, different protocols from different organizations, what we can do, examples of good practice and so on and so forth. And I think it's an ongoing um, an ongoing thing. I don't think you can ever sort of set and forget that no. because you just kind of learn new things all the time. And then you also have that sort of quite sad topic around scammers. Yes. You have the quite problematic topic around economic abuse. Mm. And that's probably one where I actually advisors, because they're closer to the family, I can play a really, really important role in actually um, preventing Protect. that and protecting mm-hmm. the individual. So I think there's a, just a huge amount of of work, really, I think, for, for the sector and for society more generally. And I suppose then, you know, if you just step back a little bit more, um, there's the piece around prevention, right? Because I think we understand, I think, that um, if, if you can prevent heart disease and stroke then also that that's really really good for sort of um preventing or delaying in the onset of dementia and of course that's that's another it's a wider topic a health topic no. I, I guess really but yeah
3: so, i mean we say what's good for your heart is good for your head and that's actually true those, those classic messages of eating the right foods drinking moderation doing some exercise absolutely mm. they, they are good for your heart but they are definitely good for your head that's a true they're true facts and that's something we'd encourage everyone to think about
0: cool i'd like to uh, sort of end on a sort of uh, encouraging note um, and I'd like Richard if you can talk about some of the, the medical research and improvements in treatment because obviously the money raised for Insurance United against dementia by, by, by them and, and on the campaign day on um, the 30th November is going to go towards helping to fund this so could you tell us uh, some some of some of that good news that you tease us at <laughs> the beginning of this podcast yeah
3: absolutely and uh, we're really thankful to the insurance united against dementia campaign and everything they're doing because our summer society is almost entirely funded by donations from the public and um so that eight million pounds has really been put to good use <laughs> and is really vital so a, a bit of a journey if i can so about 30 years ago Alzheimer's Society was funding research into dementia and Alzheimer's disease when very few other people were in the UK and we funded one study um and we not only funded the study, we also put an advert into our newsletter and a very brave woman called Carol Jennings replied to that. And basically we connected Carol Jennings up with the research that we were funding because she had a family history of dementia and Alzheimer's disease that was coming very early. And the outshot of us connecting a person living with dementia or someone with fear of living with dementia in the future and a researcher led to something called the amyloid hypothesis. And what this essentially said is a protein called amyloid is building up in people's brains who develop Alzheimer's disease. And it's really important. Alzheimer's disease is the cause of about 60% of dementias, but not all of them. Mm. But for those 6%, um, this hypothesis said we think this protein, amyloid, building up in people's brains is causing Alzheimer's disease. And then all the symptoms that we define as dementia, which is kind of the umbrella term for all these different things. Um And that was 30 years ago, and we kind of gave that hypothesis to the world. And there's been a lot of research uh, since then. Um, But in the last, well, 12, 18 months now, what we've seen is two treatments come through that remove amyloid from people's brains. Hmm. Um, And they remove it so well, in less than a year, actually, people have had so much of the amyloid removed from their brains, they wouldn't even be eligible to go on the trial anymore. Wow. It removes it so quickly. Um, And what we've seen for the first time is the difference that makes to people. We are talking here, we believe, about slowing down the progression of Alzheimer's disease. Mm. It does not stop it. It does not reverse it. These are not cures. And it's Mm -hmm. really important to say that this is the beginning of a really important journey. Maybe even the beginning of the end, we've been um, tempted to say, but it's a long way to go. So what we've seen is when you remove amyloid from people's brains... Um, at the early stages and again that's really important to say and i will mention diagnosis when you remove it at the early stages you can slow down the progression of the symptoms of alzheimer's disease so things like um being able to be more financially dependent for longer been able to drive for longer been able to partake in your hobbies for longer mm-hmm. um really important aspects to maintaining a good quality of life we are We have seen from two clinical studies those type of differences and also the differences in the quality of life of the carer, which, again, people on these drugs and the the carers talking about them, talking about a better quality of life that they had as well. So we are beginning to see that these treatments are now going through the kind of regulatory steps, which are really, really important. But we hope in the next 12 months um, that they will both be signed off um, and we then need to look at the system that, at the moment probably isn't ready to give these treatments. At the moment, only about 2%, in fact, a bit less than 2% of people, come to get an early and accurate diagnosis, the type of diagnosis that's needed to access these treatments. Right. So we may be in a case in 12 months' time we don't. We have treatments available for the first time ever, and these are the, the first disease-modifying treatments. The treatments that slow down Alzheimer's disease, the first ever, and they are coming, but the system isn't quite ready. So Is this- that,
0: sorry, the NHS, or could that be sort of private... I mean, if people had private insurance, are they able, perhaps, Yvonne, to get quicker diagnoses?
3: Yes, it's mostly from the NHS. There is an element through Mm -hmm. private It's possible. I mean, the UK does have some of the worst capacity in uh, diagnostic brain scanning in the developed world, unfortunately. So there's not a huge amount out there. Of course, some people have been able to go privately can get that. But through the NHS, absolutely not. We, it takes two years on average to get a diagnosis. Mm. That is a long, long time. And it's even young uh, earlier for young onset. So, yeah, these, these treatments are coming and they're revolutionary. And I think what they're doing is they're changing the tone. One of the things we've had is you can't do anything. Well, we already knew an early anaerobic diagnosis helps with things like power of attorney, helps Mm -hmm. with choice of care homes, helps with making sure you get respite in in, in place. So it already made a difference. It's now going to make a bigger difference to those with Alzheimer's disease because we believe these treatments will slow it down. In the future... Everything's going to get better. These treatments are going to get better. But we do need to get that diagnosis earlier. uh, And we do need the NHS and the system to change. But I think because we have treatments coming the first time ever, the NHS and government are speaking to us in a way they never have before. Because they're almost acting as the catalyst for kind of radical change in the system, which is really, really exciting. We've never had a time like this in dementia ever. This is the most exciting time. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, and just to mention, could be wrong not to uh, reference it at all, these treatments are difficult. They do have side effects. They are given intravenously. Mm-hmm. At the moment, that means every two or four weeks, depending on the two that are going through, you have to go into a hospital and have them. You have to have regular brain scans to make sure the side mm-hmm. effects, which can be really severe, are monitored carefully. So there are, there are challenges around this, but this is the first step. And us beating Alzheimer's disease and we'll look back in hopefully in 10 years time and say god those treatments weren't great look at all these treatments we have now mm-hmm. and I, I think that is a really exciting point this is the beginning of that journey um and we want everyone to help Alzheimer's Society play a really crucial role in that whether that is just talking about Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's disease and dementia and how we're at the cusp of these changes whether it's going on a memory walk or engaging with the insurance united against dementia campaign anything like that can really make a difference right now
0: Richard, you know, that's a really positive note to, to end on and it's, it's sad to have to end, but um, there'll be people wanting to use this podcast studio very soon. <laughs> and um, yeah, thank you very much, Yvonne, Richard and Rose. Thank you very much for your time and thank you, Tom, as well for that report. And thank you too for listening.